Okay, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we are coming to a closure on the book of Thessalonians, the first book anyway, and we uh, will probably make this into a two-part message, but uh, uh, we're talking about the authentic attitude uh, that we're to have, the genuine attitude, the real attitude that's that the church is to exemplify, the church people are to exemplify. And so uh, as we look at this, we're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. You know, the church is probably, um, along with the Christian family, the church is the most blessed institution on earth. Uh, it's built by the Lord himself. He, you know, we're, we make up his body. He died on the cross to make all of this possible, and we're to carry out his program. I mean, we are the body of Christ here on earth, and it's the one that is promised eternal blessings. The one that he declared, if you remember, to Peter and the disciples that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it or overpower it. Now, we know that we are defeated at times. We know that churches fail at times. We know that, that uh, we uh, you know, don't seem like we're overcoming the, uh, the gates of Hades, uh, overpower or it's not, you know, we, we feel like it's overpowering us at times. And, and uh, that's because being the church, and even though God has promised us that the gates of Hades will not overpower it, it doesn't mean that the church is free uh, of all difficulties. Uh, uh, and one reason for this is that the church is made up of redeemed individuals redeemed sinners who are still battling the uh the uh, the fallen flesh and so as the church recognizes and deals with its failures and difficulties by the word of god by the grace of god by the spirit of god it will continue to grow spiritually and the lord will direct us and we'll see that genuineness coming out of our lives and out of our function as a church the way that it should. We'll be exemplifying that authenticity, that realness, that, that genuineness that, that is seen here with the Thessalonians. Now, we'll talk about this in a few moments. Are the Thessalonians, were they perfect? No. And we'll talk about that with the first point. But this is a book concerned about that authentic, that real, that genuine Christianity that should involve the church and its function. The Apostle Paul has given us the elements necessary for the, the church to function properly. And in these last verses, Paul talks about this attitude, the attitude that the church is to have. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, the attitude that should govern us as believers. Not only, the, you know, as far as to leaders, but to one another. He'll first talk about its leadership here. And so um, let's look at the attitude that it first describes, and that is that of appreciation in verses 12 
and 13 of chapter 5. It says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate, there's a word, appreciate, those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now we'll stop there just for a moment. The attitude, this attitude of appreciation regards and esteems others properly. In other, in other words, Paul zeroes in on how a congregation should regard others, and especially its leaders. So when I'm talking about this, let's generally experience others in generality in the church. It's involving all, but also specifically its leaders. There were evidently conflicts in the church. We know from the last phrase in verse 13, live in peace with one another, that there were evidently some kind of conflicts going on. And with him talking about leaders here, it was a young church, and it may have been just like we talked about this morning. Uh, you know, some were looking and comparing and judging according to the world's viewpoint instead of the way God would have them. And so they may have been wondering, well, why is this person in leadership? Why didn't you put me in leadership? You know, and, and these type of things. We don't know exactly, but we do know that there was some kind of conflict. It definitely lets us know that, hey, it's a church. It's a real church, and it's got problems. It wasn't a perfect church, but it had many qualities that we can follow that will help us as believers and as a church to function properly. And one of the imperfections was between the ministers and the congregation. So his call for peace was one of his concerns here. And what form of conflict, as I said, we're unsure of. But we, we can, you know, assume certain things because of the situation there. It was a young church. So there was lack of cooperation, somehow or another. And that will change an attitude of gratitude to ingratitude. You know, an attitude of affirmation to unaffirmation. A person can go a long way by building, them, uh, building a person up and not tearing them down, but it's easy to get in there and start tearing others down for whatever reason it might be. And uh, it's just like with your family. Just, you know, just constantly tear down your, your children. And what will that cause? It'll cause a dysfunctional family, and especially with the children. Uh, running them down, never giving them any, uh, you know, esteem or, or any encouragement. And so Paul's concern was that the leaders not be discouraged. And it's hard when you have a church when you feel that you have to meet the needs, and especially a young church like this, all the people all the time. And you can't do it. And unless a pastor is God, then that won't happen. But people have those kind of visions or those kind of thoughts a lot of times. They think that everything must be met by the leader, the pastor, whatever. And that it just will not happen. Paul challenges the church to have an attitude of affirmation and not 
be so critical. He says that uh, in many ways, uh, you know, they were not doing what the Lord would have them to do, and there was that lack of appreciation. So appreciation in the Greek means to know by experience. So what is that telling us? Paul says, know your leaders. He's talking about having respect for them. He's talking about a recognition and appreciation that affirms them as significant. To value the work the elders and the pastors and others do. You know, there's three words basically used in the New Testament. Four sometimes, but is thrown in. The fourth one I'll mention. But three words in particular that describe the pastor and his his office, and, and one of them is elder, and that is where we get presbyterus from, Presbyterians, you know, and uh, it, uh, you know, it uh, characterizes the mature and the wise, the, the elder person, the wisdom that they have, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, the other one is overseer, and it's episcopos, and that's where we get Episcopalians, you know. So uh, we get that word, and it describes its leader's spiritual oversight and authority. The third word, we don't get any uh, religion from, uh, any word for it. It's just pomain, <laughs> and it means pastor. And so that deals with feeding and protecting the flock. And then the fourth one sometimes that is used is uh, it's just leader. The word leader, and and it is uh, hegemon, and we you know we don't have any uh, denomination for that, but it's to provide spiritual discernment and guidance. So those four words are used a lot of times in the description for the pastor uh, and staff at times, but especially for the pastor. So Paul is telling them to have appreciation for them. You know, it's uh, like with Debbie. You know, I can come home and I can eat a meal, and she's worked hard in preparing it. And, uh, you know, uh, I can say uh, nothing about it, eat it like I have before, right, honey? And she says, well, did you like it? And I say, well, didn't I eat it? You know, <laughs> and so... She says, but that's not enough. I'd like to hear what your comments are about it. And, uh, you know, really, she's right because I can eat it and I can show that I enjoy it by eating it and eating my meal, but that's not all that should go with it. That's kind of devaluing uh, her and her work that she's put into it. And so the tr same is true if, uh, if we, in church, a lot of times with our leaders, and then I'm not just talking about pastors, but other people, when they do uh, such hard work and we just devalue them by just taking it for granted. And it's easy to take for granted. I mean, when, we're lit, when we've lived together, uh, Debbie and I, uh, 49 years, it's easy to take each other for granted. Uh, you know, when you've worked hard all day and protecting and providing and you come home and, and you know, you'd like to get s something said like, hey, you know, you've, yeah, I know you've worked so hard today, 
Mike, and you just done such a wonderful job. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I better stop there. She does a good job. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Paul tells the church to know them. And uh, that's the next thing. So he tells them to know the value of those who shepherd you. He says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the, the Lord and give you instruction. And, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So with that appreciation, we're to know them. It means to know by experience. So uh, know the value of those who shepherd you, who teach you, who, who uh, you know, your Sunday school teachers. Doesn't matter. Or Bible study teachers. Uh, is not just the pastor, but specifically he's talking probably about the pastor here. Hold, you know, hold in high esteem them. Recognize those who, uh, you know, put that time in and serve over you and, and who meet the qualifications there. Now, what are the qualifications for the elder? Well, they labor among you in verse 12. Leadership is work, not necessarily privilege, it's work. You don't become a leader just because of who you are, do you? You become a leader by proving yourself, how you live and what you do. I know that uh, used to people would talk about, well, when do you become a pastor to a church? Some would say, you know, it takes about three to five years before they learn you and know you and appreciate you and see, see that, you know, you mean business, that you're going to stay with them and all this kind of stuff and that you really care for them. Uh, some said even more than that. But it is a time factor where people look at you and they, they see how you live and what you do and you labor among them. And then uh, it says that you have charge, those that have charge over you and these are uh, those that are leading. They take that leadership responsibility uh, personally and seriously and, and they want to, uh, you know, to take care of you, protect you and, and train you and make sure that you're cared for. And uh, they, it's not a hireling we're talking about here like we talked about this morning. It's, it's somebody that takes their calling seriously. And uh, if it was just a hireling, then they would be the nine to five type person. And when five comes around, they're gone and they, you know, it's no longer uh, any, they don't have anything to do with uh, any ministry or whatever. But that's not it. And so, and it's to give you instruction. The leader is to be a teacher. They give you instruction. The divine uh, frame of reference there. In other words, they get their instruction from the Word of God. And that's what a good leader tries to do. The solutions and, and the instruction and guidance come from the Word of God. And then Paul tells the church not only to um, know them but he says to esteem them in verse 13 he says and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work in other words hold them in high regard make a big deal over them how by letting them know that you appreciate them. you know uh debbie I, i'll never forget 
this because I wrote it down, honey. But uh, <laughs> De- Debbie was, uh, I remember she was trying on some clothes one, one time in the store, and, and uh, she tried on this skirt. And, she, and, of course, she looked very good in it. She always looks good in all her clothes today. She looks good right now. And, and so, um, I, you know, she came out, and she said, what do you think? And I said, you look, you, you, <laughs> you, you look very good. And so uh, uh, the, uh, the girl that was waiting on me, though, she corrected me. She, she said, she looks great in that skirt. And so I quickly learned when she said she looks great. I said, honey, you do. You look great in that skirt. That skirt's just made for you. I mean, you really bring it out, and it brings out the beauty in you. So um, you look like some supermodel in it. So so, uh, this is what Paul means when he tells the church, esteem others, those leaders, but one another in the Lord but the 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 leaders don't tell me I wear my dress well I'm not talking about that I'm just saying uh or don't tell your Sunday school teacher especially if he's a male that he wears his skirts real well or you like that skirt just tell them you know that you appreciate what they're doing and if the leaders in the church are leading the church right then they ought to be esteemed highly why because the leaders are leading right and they don't need to be discouraged along the way to fall out. I just recently was talking with someone about one of the leaders of uh, one of the big churches. And uh, it was all, it had, I hate to say this, but it had become more of an cooperation or an organization than an organism. That's what the church is, a living organism. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have, you know, uh, different things in church to help it operate like an organization. I'm not saying that. But to run it purely like that, this person was not considered at all for what he was doing anymore. He was one of the staff members, and so he was on the go all the time, so much so that uh, he resigned and he had to enter into family counseling because he, hadn't, he had not spent any time with his family. I mean, churches, they need to recognize that with their leaders. This is why in Sunday school, you have a Sunday school that's supposed to be organized in the sense to allow the, the organism to operate properly. You have a teacher. You have an outreach leader. You are outreach leaders. You have one that plans activities. Now, why did Sunday school set up this organization? So that the organism, the living organism, could operate properly and not all of it be placed on the teacher there in that Sunday school class. Same thing for the the pastor, same thing for uh, any of the leaders. And so in turn, this is how it's to operate in Hebrews 13 7 remember those who lead you who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct imitate their faith obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you 
as they are making you happy by their leadership, then you make them happy by their support. Be harmonious by valuing their leaders and their leadership. Tell them, support them. Take care of them. Recognize them. Paul tells the church to love their leaders. And the love has to do with the intimate affection. There is a deep, in other words, concern. A deep concern shown for their welfare. This is an attitude of appreciation. One of value. Now, I feel kind of odd because I'm a pastor preaching this, but this is part of the Word of God. This is part that we came to in Thessalonians because I, 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 standing up here, I feel like, okay, I'm telling you what to do to me. No, I mean, you know, one day down the road, I'm going to either die and go and be with the Lord or I'm going to, uh, you know, step away. You should do this with all of your leaders. And not just me, you should, you should act this way towards your Sunday school teachers and other leaders in the church. And one another, appreciation of one another. So uh, Paul tells the church to live in peace with one another and their leaders. Think of others and especially your leaders above yourself. Let God's truth govern your life and not your preferences. And isn't it so easy for us to have our preferences overtake God's truth and so we should not allow that to happen we should work against that encourage one another we're not going to always agree with how certain people do certain things are we I know you always agree with what how I do things but I mean you know there'd be somebody that come along later on in life where you won't agree with everything that they do but you can appreciate their office you can appreciate them you can appreciate their leadership so you can encourage them because I want to tell you a lot of times I'll just be honest with you a lot of times uh, the ministry can be lonely it really can and not only and you y'all, you guys remember this because down the road down the road when another one comes in this lady over here has been very outgoing you know that I mean, she comes to you and talks to you. A lot of churches, you know, they, they're not all that friendly towards the preacher's wife. And the preacher's wife is not as outgoing uh, as this one. But I want to tell you, it gets very lonely. At least I can go and have fellowship if I want to with other preachers. Well, I used to before this COVID. But anyway. Uh, that, that's not so for the most part for the preacher's wife not so uh, you, need, you need to think about that and a lot of times with your Sunday school teacher same way if it's a male now thank goodness you know with uh, Rip and Ann if either one of them teach Ann does teach but she'll be teaching women usually and she can have fellowship there but a lot of times if she was sitting in there and, and Rip was teaching, if that was the case, then she might not have the women come to her because Rip teaches like she should. And so Sunday school teachers, you operate the same way. You should operate that. You should understand that. Put yourself in their shoes and, you know, live in peace with them, encourage them. And just because they 
you know, they, they may wear a different color skirt than you like, or they may wear a hat every once in a while. I'm talking about the ladies and not the men. Uh, then, you know, uh, that's okay. That's preference. And just because they may not like the University of Georgia or Georgia Tech or, or they may not like something else that you like, sports, whatever, yeah, then that's fine. That's preferences. So um, second thing that we need to look at, not only attitude towards the spiritual leaders, but um, attitude that recognizes that we are family. And in verses 14 and 15, it says, And we urge you, brethren, admonish, admonish, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, keep or help the weak, be patient with all men, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Okay. First of all, let me say that this is not an attitude of coming and not serving and participating. This is being involved. It's not coming and just being a pew warmer. It's not one sitting and soaking and souring. This is not an attitude of coming to see what you can get out of it that Paul's talking about. It is not an attitude of what you have done or what have you done for me today this is an attitude of what I can give and so the first thing that he talks about is admonish a family is not where the mother does everything for the children is it I know some of them think so and the children never do anything in other words, a family's not where the children don't clean up, they don't have responsibilities, they don't iron, wash, set the table, wash dishes, and so forth. That is not considered a family. You're not helping a family, are you? By making them dysfunctional in that way. You give them responsibility, little by little. You teach them this responsibility. It's a healthy family that teaches this responsibility, love, and respect. All three of them. It is unhealthy in a family to have the attitude of what can I get from the family instead of what do I owe to the family. When that occurs, we're raising selfish children. When it's all about me. We in the family of God end up raising children that are entitled. That's it. There must be an accountability of the family. And just like that, there must be an accountability of the family of God for all of us are not on the same spiritual level. Look in verse 14. And we urge you, brethren, telling the whole church now, not just the leadership, it is no longer on an individual basis here. He's telling the whole church, admonish the unruly. This is so very important. You see, you don't come just to sit and sour. You don't come for that. 
You don't come just to sit and do nothing. You come to get involved in one another's life. People are not on the same level maturity-wise. Some mature faster than others. And how can you minister to such a wide range of growing children or Christians? The whole body has a responsibility for this. Again, the whole body has a responsibility for this. So the first thing to do is when there's unruly children in the midst, you admonish them. Unruly in the original refers to a soldier who steps out of line. Now, it meant disorderly conduct. It is the responsibility of church members to admonish other believers who step out of line. Now, stepping out of line did not mean that a soldier just missed in step. It meant that he broke line. It has to do with a rebellious Christian. Don't call others to admonish them. Get involved in one another's lives to the point where they respect you and you respect them and you admonish them, you help them when they are out of line. It means if we know that they are out of line, it's our responsibility to admonish them. Don't push it off on somebody else. It's our responsibility to pray for them first and to approach them as God leads us and tell them what is going on. If we fail there, we fail with God and with our brother who needs admonishing. Warn, admonish the rebellious child of God second of all in verse 14 we're to encourage encourage the faint-hearted what does that mean it means to come alongside to strengthen the weak the little ones the faint-hearted are those who are quick to quit now just because a Christian drops out or a person in church drops out doesn't necessarily mean that they were never born again it might mean that they never were developed as a child of God you see some have an attitude of always being negative always being on the dark side and they become very easily discouraged if a half glass of water is set before them they say that there's half empty glass of water. It's a lot different than a more mature one would might look at it and see it as a glass half full. So some Christians have not grown enough to, to go on their own. They are the ones who need one who will come alongside and encourage them or prod them along. Encourage means uh, near speech. That means you are close enough to them that you know what is wrong and you can speak to them. Remember God says, I will show mercy to those who give mercy. 
Then he says in verse 14, help the weak. It says, and we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage faint-hearted, help the weak. So these are the people who have not yet learned to lean on God. They are not walking by faith the way that they should. They're not dependent upon God. They don't know that they are to trust in God. They're still trusting more in their senses and, and, and their selves instead of the Lord. We need to come alongside them as a church, like a hospital, and help bring them along. This is where surgery is performed. You see, your purpose should be to get well, not, you know, come and relax in one sin. And so we're to help them with this. If one is sick and desires to get well, then we're to help them get well. And that means by helping them get well and not talking about them. And that's so easy to do <laughs> today. Uh, we'd rather talk about them. I mean, everything that you see on the news is talking about somebody else and talk, you know, talking negative about them, running them down, kick them while they're down. Boy, I like that. You know, just, did you see that? Did you see that interview? I mean, that highlight the other day on the news where it was, it was in Seattle? Where that guy, they got him out of the truck, and they beat him up, and then while he was on the ground, uh, right before the end, the guy came by and kicked him in the head, knocked him out. Terrible, terrible. One whole lot said about that in, on a lot of the news. But you see, that kind of attitude, that kind of action, really is what happens when a person starts talking and running down to other people and talking about them. You, we're just kicking them while they're down. Uh, what do you want? Well, you want the person that cares. You know, my wife and my cousin, uh, both her and, and Debbie were traveling with four kids coming back from um, uh, Georgia to, to Oklahoma. And it was during the Christmas holidays. Never forget this. Shane had been left with me, and so Shane and I were going to uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas to meet him. And my cousin, they, her husband ministered up in, uh, uh, where? Missouri, Missouri, yeah. And so uh, they, uh, you know, they were, we were going to meet there. Well, it, there was ice and snow and storm, and I mean, snow on the ground, and and, you know, my careful driving, I, somehow or another, I lost control of the car and went in the ditch. Well, they pulled me out. My son, Shane, he was young enough where, for some reason, he got so scared he didn't want to go on to uh, Fort Smith with me. And so he, he stayed with the chairman deacon, so I went on Fort Smith. Well, I got there. Guess what? What had happened to them? They were coming back, and in Memphis, it was ice on the road, in, on the interstate. And their car got out of control and slid over into the uh, uh, medium in the ditch. Well, they were stuck there. I'm sure some people drove by and they said, boy, I'm glad they're I'm not like them, man. And others probably looked and said, boy, what a foolish predicament they're in. And others probably said other things as they drove by. But there were some truckers that said, we're going to help. And they did, transfer truck. Pulled over there, got some chains, pulled them out. Now I want to ask you, if you were in their predicament, what kind of comment, what kind of outlook, what kind of response would you have wanted? 
people just driving by, looking and saying, <laughs> glad it's not me. How foolish are I'm going to help. Well, the same way in church. We need to be the same way. Be patient with all men, it says. Why? It takes time to raise family. And then the last thing is, vengeance is God's. Don't repay evil with evil. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Retaliation should not be a part of our makeup, but it is, isn't it? I mean, you know, you feel like cutting their tires in love and all that kind of good stuff. Somebody felt like destroying the side of my vehicle. That was fine, in love. But anyway, think, you know, think about the days of Noah. People laughing at Noah and going ahead and living their lives the way that they wanted to, not adhering to God's message, no conscience towards God. And it, it may have seemed, a, a, you know, like a long time in Noah's mind, all these years going by, but it was a short time for God. God gave them every chance possible to repent. And he stayed true to his word with judgment. And then came flood upon the earth. Noah might have wondered during that time whether God was going to, to do anything or not. And he might have thought, hey, you know, about seeking revenge on what they said and how they laughed at him, how they shunned him. But he didn't, and in time, God judged the earth. We want to take things into our own hands a lot of times because God is slow to wrath. And boy, we ought to be thankful for it, because we wouldn't be saved here today if he was so we, uh, we ought to keep that kind of attitude and let God take care of it. And I want to tell you, it's not always easy. It really isn't. Well, the last thing, the attitude that demonstrates worship of God, we'll talk about next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for the example that you've given us as far as the genuineness, the authenticity of this church. And I pray that as we look at some of these things, it's, it's not always easy to live that way but you that's why you've given us uh, the word of god that's why you've shown us that these churches even though they follow a lot of this as paul said you're doing this but keep on doing it you know it, it didn't mean that they were without problems because he mentioned this and so uh he knew also what was ahead for them and and that they to stay true this is what they needed uh, to do to stay true to that authenticity and so lord i pray that we will recognize that and that we will be faithful to it and lord that we will follow through with it and and stay on our knees and be dependent to you and recognize that this cannot be accomplished and cannot happen without your grace and your power so help us here at forest heights baptist church to be that authentic christian that authentic church. For well, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll stand